Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, we're talking about the 1998 post-apocalyptic samurai martial arts action film, Six String Samurai. And we have a special guest with us today from the Stay Creative podcast. T-Rex Jones is joining us. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, man. <laughs> so tell us about your podcast. What are you doing? M- most recently, I've been doing video first. We get in like a Discord server and record and, and stream live on Twitch. And we talk about uh, it's the same like two questions every episode, the the low points or the low seasons and, and the lessons you learned. And then like the high points or the encouragements you you have, you know, and I talk to different independent music makers, but but I'd like to eventually branch out to other other types of creators and, and just creative people. But but yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing a live episode every two weeks and I'm, I'm actually letting them be longer since I'm uploading less, sorry, less frequently. I felt like I was really getting into like rushing my guests through stuff and I didn't want to do that anymore. So Uh I'm basically just recording like a five person conversation every two weeks and uploading that. The main takeaways that like I really try to get across in my, in my show is never like the measurable success, quote unquote, kind of like we were talking about with this movie. Like it's not a bad movie. It just doesn't, match some particular measurements of success. Right. You know, and the and the people that I want to talk to on my show are typically people who have a reason not associated with monthly plays that yes. they're still making things, that they're still creating. Because yeah. I think those are the those are the conversations that really encourage people to in, like make more things. I want there to be more podcasts. I want there to be more music. I want there to be more movies in the world. So like I, I feel like it's a uh, uh, compassionate, but also practical thing to do to share, you know, the kind of wisdom and and experience that people already have who are doing the things that I believe other people could absolutely do. You know, <laughs> why'd you pick this movie? Like, this is an obscure movie. I, I remember when it came out, like in video stores. I rented it and copied it, like from movie gallery. Yeah, man. I so I didn't see this movie until like t- like two thousand eight, like ten years later. You know. after it came out that is and i just i just loved it man like i I remember the first time i saw it i detected absolutely no flaw with it whatsoever you know what i mean like i I loved it completely i loved the theme i loved the rock and roll samurai like concept the post-apocalyptic every single every single element about it really appealed to me so much so that i was able to completely overlook how bad the writing is and like how bad the pacing is like I just rewatched it yesterday and I realized kind of like, oh man, this is, there's like three scenes just playing in a loop. Yeah. <laughs> so like as somebody who was watching it, like critically, like wondering if somebody would ask me that question, I was realizing like, huh, I wonder if they think I'm maybe, maybe dumb or something. Cause I love this movie so much. And like, I can, I could tell it's kind of, it's kind of bad, you know? Well, that's one of the things about this podcast and and what we made this for. There is a very specific type of movie, uh, primarily the low budget or micro budget movie. But Mm. there's also the guy who just got out of film school. 
He's done his internship as a PA for some mm -hmm. other guy who's making money. And now it's my turn to, mm -hmm. to make my thing. And maybe it doesn't hit that theatrical release measuring stick, mm -hmm. or it's artistic in a way that not a lot of people get. Or in the case of a lot of the movies we make, it's made to be this kind of movie. That doesn't make it a bad movie if yeah. you understand what it's supposed to be. And quite frankly, I believe that's what this movie is. So this movie was made on a budget of $2 million. Puts it right square in the target range for, for the kind of films we love. <laughs> Had a very limited theatrical release and grossed just over $124,000 in the U.S. Movie was directed by a man whose name I'm going to mangle. It seems to be a pattern over the last few episodes. I'm <laughs> going to embrace it. Uh, directed by Lance Mungia. This is his feature film director debut, and after this movie, he did not direct again until 2005 when he directed. The Crow, Wicked Prayer. Oh, man. <laughs> but for a debut film, he did okay because this film mm -hmm. is the winner of the Slamdance Film Festival Award for Best Editing and Best Cinematography. Yeah, which I can't like not say that the cinematography in this movie is one of the, the best parts of it. Just how, how well they, they captured these almost like Zen painting long shots of stuff you know but then they made it into a rock and roll action movie so i really love the cinematography in this movie it's dreamy too uh, to me it, it's like it's over the the actors are doing like this over acting stuff and mm -hmm. the cinematography adds to it it gives it like a, an anime kind of like feel to it yes big time anime especially when they have like the voice over yeah voice actors. yeah it's uh, overdub. They did that. I don't know why. I guess save money or money. Well, it did give it a, a definite feel. Yeah. You know, we've got our Japanese martial arts film feel here, even though they filmed it. And then, then the people that are on screen are, are dubbing the, the dialogue after the fact. It, it gives it that 1960s, 1970s martial mm -hmm. arts film feel. That yeah. and like Getty Western, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There are so many aspects in the you know, parts of this movie that are pulled straight out of spaghetti western. Yeah, big time. The well, I don't want to jump ahead. I'm sorry. I, I've listened to enough of the show to know the format. We'll get to <laughs> we'll get to what I was about to say. Film was written by Lance Munja and Jeffrey Falcon, who is also the star of the movie. Jeffrey Falcon basically had made a bunch of martial arts films. He was a character actor in martial arts films. If mm -hmm. there was a crowd of people who were going to attack the hero, Jeffrey Falcon was one of them. It's funny. I looked over his IMDb to like prepare myself for, for this today. And I also saw that he has pretty much just been like low name, like one name only type characters in a bunch of action movies, you know, martial right. arts movies. But I did not allow myself to to complete that knowledge with the imaginary scene of him just being in a bunch of faceless posses <laughs> kicking Jackie Chan's ass. You know, you can yeah. make a lucrative career out of being bad guy number three. Yeah, big time. 
like everybody hung out with Jackie Chan, like was in so many damn movies. It's so, <laughs> it's so just like just hanging out. Ah, you're in like three movies. Just change the shirt. I got that's <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, all right. And and looking over the credits of this film, they did exactly that. There are not even a few. There are a lot of folks in here who appeared as three or more characters in this film. Mm. Oh, yeah. Next, we have Justin McGuire as the kid. He only had two acting credits and a stunt credit. And then I guess he went back to school and got a real job. (laughs) (laughs) It it, kind of made me laugh to see that his other uh, credit was a stunt credit. Like, like his time with Jeffrey Falcon rubbed off on him so much that right. years later he had to do he had to become a stuntman. Yep. I think that's a <laughs> lines like in this movie because <laughs> no lines to like I don't know like three fourths. Yeah. Like, yeah, he didn't start uh, talking until um, this is a ninety-one minute film, and I don't think he started talking until minute seventy something. And he's dressed like that cat from Rock uh, that Rooster cartoon. He's got like cat. <laughs> He does look like <laughs> Stephen Goger as death, mostly known as a writer, director, cinematographer, very little acting work. I think he wanted a taste of it. He got it in this movie and then he was done. Yeah. He always wore that. He, like in every scene, he was just a mask and a top hat, you know, like he didn't really have to. It was mostly just body acting. And then I guess after the fact, overdubbing the, the words, right? Yeah, and we've seen we've seen that before, where someone will get pulled out of the crew. I mean, we did a film, a trauma film, a few episodes ago, where one of the editors got a role because he was the only one on set that could ride a motorcycle. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he was like, yeah, as an editor and like a grip, and it's like, uh, who's got bike experience? Uh, paint this guy up like a freak, and we need him on set, like. <laughs> Yeah, and he turned into one of the primary characters in the movie. Oh, jeez! And, and so that may be what happened here. This guy is primarily director and cinematographer for Vietnamese films. That's interesting. I, I wonder if if they wanted to capture some of like the old martial arts aesthetic, maybe. So, so oh, I don't know. You just said Vietnamese. You didn't say a particular time period or genre. You know. I have no idea. I, I believe that they, uh, we do have a cast that was selected primarily because of their experience with martial arts films. Yeah, like I think everybody has got some kind of stunt. Now, there's a couple of them that, like, you know, are just like character actors and they got the role because they look weird. And so, like, oh, we need a weird person in this scene or we need a weird. <laughs> or everybody else is pretty much stuntmen. The kid, you know, he became a stuntman. Uh, the yeah. Red Elf is like the band that does like most of the soundtrack work they were picked because of you know they're kind of like wrote into the story they're cool i dig them they're pretty much just like the stuntman in this movie i love stuntman movies uh, i don't know what that is i like i just I, I remember growing up watching the fall guy right and it's like watching every week a car turn over and like get caught on fire it's like oh man and these stuntman movies they're loaded with that shit yeah yeah it's just stunts for the sake of stunts you know yeah and i was like they gotta get a paycheck so like they write these movies where it's like stuff <laughs> yeah that's one thing that i kind of noticed about some of the scenes in this movie rewatching it is you could tell they just asked jeffrey falcon like 
what kind of sweet moves can you do with this? And handed him something (laughs) (laughs) and then filmed him beating up for, for extras, you know? Right. Here's a broken umbrella. What can you do with it? (laughs) Now I I really like the umbrella effect. We'll get to that one in a second. You mentioned the red Elvises uh, who did the soundtrack for the film and, and they were added to this movie because they're actually Russian. I've I've actually seen them. I've seen them live. Oh yeah. Yeah, they played at, I think, the Cannery uh, cannery Ballroom, and they were opening for Reverend Horton Heat with Unknown Henson. Oh, man. Yeah, nice. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. I, I definitely saw those bands there in that combination, and in my memory, it was the same show. All right, so the film opens up with stock footage of nuclear tests. I think this is the third film we've done that opens with this same footage, and I love all of them. A narrative crawl explains that nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia took place in 1957, and Russia won. The last bastion of freedom is Las Vegas, and Elvis Presley was crowned king in 1957. In, In 1997, Elvis Presley died, and there will be a Battle of the Bands type contest to crown the new king. And next, we get a look at what appears to be cavemen, a bunch of long-haired guys covered in furs, making a lot of grunting sounds, and they are chasing a woman and her child through a field. Uh, one of them uses a slingshot, shoots her in the back of the head, and she is down, and that's when Buddy comes to the rescue with his sword, and he takes them all out. Super legit scene. I, I feel like that, just like that stock nuclear explosion scene is kind of a go-to scene like i feel like this mom is down and here comes the hero it's, it's like the saving the cat of the martial arts movie you know oh yeah they used to have like on ifc called samurai saturdays mm. and they samurai moves like all all saturday <laughs> that's awesome and i used to watch it man yeah it always opens up with like that and I like that going through the high grass thing too like they they mm, took mm-hmm. that and uh i think it was in 300 or something they used the same kind of thing where it's like that, and like you have that dream, a lot of people have that reoccurring dream where they do, and it's like it's like supposed to start a journey. So it's like, yeah, they mm. they tell that like all these old samurai movies. That's awesome. I, I, yeah. I I've never heard that before. That's super cool. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty standard opening for this type of film, and I love it. I'm glad they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Buddy starts to swing in his sword. I guess he's called Buddy because he looks like Buddy Holly. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is Buddy Holly. I think he yeah. is Buddy Holly. Death yeah. has taken out the Big Bopper and Richie Valens. And yeah. next on his list is Buddy Holly. Yep. <laughs> A buddy takes out all the bad guys and retrieves his guitar and just walks off. The kid goes to check on his mom. And this is when we discover not only is she down, she is out. He is truly dead. The kid sees Death walk past, confirming that she's really dead. And Death looks a lot like Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Oh, spot on. I, I think that's um, honestly like I think the other guys kind of look like like they could be members of Guns N' Roses as well. You know, like they've got the long, <laughs> you know, various like colored hair. Guns N' Roses, the, the band before Guns N' Roses, I think it was called L.A. Roses or something like that. It's like that. It's like they're all wearing black and they kind of look like. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Like heroin. Goth or, <laughs> it, yeah. It's, it's like LA. I like that symbolism. They're like, the, you got all these other guys trying to be samurai and they look like 50s 
fifties rockers, but then you got the guys that are like the bad guys and they look like hair metal guys. Yeah. And there's like some symbolic, you know, something going on there. I like Right. Well, Buddy raises his tattered umbrella and starts to walk away from the kid, but kid stops him. The kid is nonverbal and just uses inarticulate yelling to communicate. Buddy's got no time for him and tells him that straight out. He tells him to flutter away, little butterfly. He's got a gig in Vegas, and he's headed there now. Well, the kid doesn't listen. Kid follows after. Yeah, he, he, does, the, he does the snap. He does that cool guy snap, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, every time I watch this movie, I do that for six months. <laughs> yeah. Also, everything that guy says is gold. Like everything is quotable out the ass, this guy. Yeah. It's like a, a samurai and like an anime guy and like, I don't know, a proto hipster, like in a blender. Like he's too cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's man. He, yes. He's so cool. He's a, he's a, he's a samurai, but even cooler. Cause he's also buddy Holly. So we exit the field and enter a Canyon. And what I love about these scenes, especially in the very beginning is we don't have any wide shots yet. We are seeing very tightly focused shots, which leaves so much to the imagination. You, you get to fill in where this is. There's, mm. there's nobody telling you these people are in this place. You just get to see a very narrow, you know, 30 feet around where I'm standing, and that's it. Well, the kid starts hollering at Buddy again. Uh, Buddy draws a line in the sand and threatens to cut the kid's teddy bear in half if he crosses it. Um, then he explains how another kid was following him and he summoned the spinach monster to deal with him. Uh, well, he's he's like he's like doing yoga while he's saying it. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> God, I love it. So uh, you have to ask yourself at this point just how. Is he really trying to discourage this kid, or is he trying to find out if he's serious? I, I see what you're saying. I think, yeah, maybe he might have like meant it as a test for the kid, but at the same time, it's like he's not really going to point that out. It's more of like a just, mm -hmm. hey, you know, leave me alone if you just, you know, be dead weight kind of thing. And right, yeah, he he it reminds me of like some sort of from an anime or a martial arts movie <laughs> or or some storybook I've told myself of like a how a master like claims an apprentice in some sort of lore yeah, or, or like how a guru just starts speaking in nonsense riddles and discouraging you just to constantly test you, you know, or right. something crazy like that. He definitely seems like some kind of master that you would encounter like at the beginning of like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you just kind of follow him and you know, you'll, you'll get adventure, you know, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, as Buddy walks away, the kid erases the line in the sand, but just to be safe, he's going to leave his teddy bear behind. He doesn't want Buddy to cut his teddy bear in half. And then he follows after Buddy. They arrive at a roadside cantina, a fallen down building. There's, there's very little left of this building except maybe a couple walls and a gas pump. This is our first look at the Red Elvises. And yeah. everything and and stops Western showdown style when Buddy arrives at this waypoint. There's even a red tail hawk cry. So we get to hear that. Like maybe there's going to be a shootout. As Buddy enters, we see a couple different things. Number one, the Elvises have been waiting for Buddy. 
They're definitely planning to kill him. Who don't know why yet, but they're planning to. But they decide to wait until he's drunk. There's also a gang of bowlers. We'll find out later that they're called the Pin Pals. (laughs) (laughs) And they are converging on the cantina as well. These guys, there's three of them, though maybe there are four, depending on the camera angle. Yeah. Walking in lockstep, flipping coins in the air, looking very menacing in a Broadway street gang kind of way. (laughs) Yeah. They're dressed in like ruined period, like 1950s bowling, you know, matching costumes. So like somehow it wasn't only the rock and roll, you know, look, samurai look that that stuck around. But also people are still walking around in ancient 50s bowling clothes, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're definitely in a league. These guys are no amateurs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like it sets it off kind of like uh, the Warriors, you know, like every gang's kind of got like a theme. You got those stupid caveman guys, and then you got the bowlers, and you got the rockers. Yeah. Uh, it's like the Fallout New Vegas, you know, the way they divided the gangs up. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was going to say, again, like a and d campaign, you know, like the DM is like, and these guys dress like that, and these guys dress like this, and that's how you know them apart. Well, we're going to find out a little bit later in this movie that there is a definite and very real connection to the fallout games in this movie i i'm gen- very very excited to hear that because i don't know what you're talking about right now and i love this movie <laughs> and those games so much yeah it's in there i had to i had to rewind a couple times to make sure and then i had to do some research but it's in there <laughs> that's awesome Well, Buddy makes his way into the cantina where he gets a very dirty bottle and a broken glass um, (laughs) and starts to drinking. He warns the bartender not to touch his guitar. And the bartender makes the, I'm going to say something about guitars to make you think I know guitars statement. Yeah. Plus, I'm pretty sure he's blind. It reminds me of uh, the scene in Smokey and the Bandit where Burt Reynolds pulls into a gas station and the gas station attendant comes out and says, Trans Am, what's your pleasure? Uh, Yeah, you saw my car. And and this cantina owner is the same way. Yes, you saw my guitar and you recognize that it is a guitar. Very good. (laughs) Yeah. Just trying to get out. (laughs) Uh, The kid's still following Buddy and he arrives at the bar just before the pin pals. It turns out that somebody named Top Hat has placed a bounty on Buddy's guitar. I assume that Top Hat is Death. Death is the only one we've seen wearing a Top Hat so far. Yeah. Well, the kid is eyeing a boiled egg there, sitting there in front of Buddy. Buddy looks at him and says, what are you looking at? But he doesn't chase the kid off and he doesn't tell him he can't have the food. So the kid just tears into it. Am I remembering, does he kind of scoot the plate across the table towards him? No, no, he just, the kid is standing there at the edge of the table, right? uh, Just looking at the plate and looking at Buddy. And Buddy says, well, what are you looking at? Yeah. And the kid takes that as permission to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't stop him when he started. So I guess he didn't. (laughs) He didn't. Yeah. Well, the pen pals uh, walk up to Buddy now and they want to (laughs) fight. And the kid just rolls his eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Like he knows how this is going to go. And he's not wrong. 
this over-the-top tough guy talk from the pin pals mentioning Buddy's uh, tuxedo and that it's a a nice tuxedo to die in. (laughs) And one of the pin pals sounds a lot like Curly Howard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I knew I I could tell the voice was like referencing something. You know, it's like a familiar voice, but I didn't actually connect exactly what it was. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Curly. This guy is played by Paul Sopa. This is his only acting credit. It turns out he is a very successful 3D artist. He has done art for Apple and Samsung, Mm. and he does lots of electronics ads still. Very successful 3D artist who stuck his toe in the water to find out if he liked acting and then moved on. That's cool. Yeah. Find all kinds of of interesting people in this movie. It is really kind of artsy movie. If if you, you know, like an artistic community probably like came together when dude put together, you know. That's that's possible. Yeah. Well, the pin pals all have one handed flails in their bowling bags and the fight's about to begin. Uh, Meanwhile, the kid has found a Coca-Cola vending machine that is overgrown with vines, and he's going to investigate. And the Elvises are going to watch the fight. They come poking around the corner in a very cartoon fashion, just a stack of heads looking around the corner. It's like the monkeys. Well, Buddy's going to make a statement. He's going to take on the pin pals completely unarmed, and the feet start to fly. Yeah. I called this film Feats of Fury. (laughs) Yeah. Because a lot of kicking. Buddy's kicking everybody, including (laughs) kicking over his shoulder to smack the guy behind him in the face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kicks those bowling guys like three times, right? Yeah. And and one of them is like a spin kick. And when he does a spin kick, you can see that his pants are ripped. Like just for a split second. Yeah. (laughs) You know, kicking these guys and just like using every minute of it yeah it's funny that they didn't decide well just do the spin kick with the new pants on they were just like ah it'll be quick (laughs) (laughs) put it in there no one's gonna know and as you see the as you see the pin pals going down every once in a while you will see a fourth pin pal because (laughs) there wasn't a black guy with them when they walked up but there was when they started fighting. Huh. He he came in long enough to get knocked down a few times, and and then he disappeared again. He's like he's like the uh, the horn players in No Doubt. <laughs> <laughs> they're only in the video when the horn's playing. Yeah, they're not in any of the posters or any of that. Yeah, they're not even in the band. It's just when the horn solo kicks in. It's like oh, there they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Well, while all this is going on, the kid has acquired some wooden blocks and tied them to his feet so that he can reach the Coke machine a little better. Buddy, meanwhile, takes out the pin pals and they go down three stooges style. You know, one falls into the next and they falls into the next, complete with a xylophone sound effect, which is immediately followed by bad bowling puns. Yeah. Are and, there bad bowling puns? I, I think they're all good bowling. I uh, mean, all bowling. Yeah. Puns. <laughs> he does call one of them gutter balls. So. Well, the kid did manage to finally get himself a Coke. And as Buddy walks away from the pin pals, we see the three of them get up. And they have 
knives, knives concealed in bowling pins. Yeah, those are pretty cool. Well, Buddy recovers his sword because if they're going to use blades, he will too. And he takes the pin pals out. One thing I like about this, we see a lot of people die, but there is no blood in this movie. Mm-hmm. None at all. Yeah, it's, all it's, it's really a good movie. Yeah, well, yeah, it's all like all the violence is implied violence. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. So so like you you can know they died without seeing a dead body or seeing a wound or seeing blood on the screen, you know? Yeah. Right. We see two of their knives fall and stick into the sand. The third knife stabs the hose from the gas pump and gasoline starts leaking out on the ground. That <laughs> can't be good. Yeah. It's a Chekhov's gun when you pour a bunch of gas on the ground. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, about this time, another guy pulls up in a rusted out car and we see another car filled with cavemen rolling by. There's a really annoyingly creepy kid hanging out there, too. We saw him as Buddy was coming up to the cantina. But yeah, that kid. Yeah, that kid is really annoying. He throws a rocket, Buddy. Buddy deflects it and it smacks one of the cavemen in the head mm-hmm. cartoon included same thing yeah uh, this is gonna start another fight you know it is oh yeah y- you were you were talking about how creepy that kid is and it, every time he appears he's like it's like they're doing something weird to the camera or something yeah it does like, like this zoom in cut like zoom in on his face and then pan out real quick yeah, it's so unsettling. I know what you mean. Like he he is creepy, but also it's like they're intentionally making me uncomfortable when I see him on screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they make this weird face too. Mm-hmm. So he's like he's like got this weird grimace and like he's really angry. And to me, like he represents like the anti kid, mm. like kid in the movie. He's like you know this young kid. His mom's dead, you know, but he's still got a heart. You know, he's the one's kind of like follow the samurai guy around. This other kid is, and he's an asshole. He's at the gas station, you know, at the bar, and he's just throwing rocks, you know, just being an asshole. And it's like, he's like, if Buddy is like the opposite of Top Hat, mm. then that kid is like the opposite of the, the other kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no mistake that when this kid appears on the screen, you're not supposed to like him. You're supposed to hate this kid. Um, and, and they make that very, very easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that kid, like a creepy ass Gomez Adams or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Buddy's getaway from these cavemen in their car is going to be a little bit easier because the kid has managed to hotwire this other guy's car. This is the first person we see with a gun and the kid yeah. has, has stolen the car. We get a look. How is he reaching the pedals? Well, he's still got those wooden blocks tied to his feet. Yeah, yeah it'll he, work, he, I he guess. Oh, and he's like drinking the Coke and like Buddy looks at him. He's like, oh, what's up, kid? He's like, yeah, hey, GTA, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As they drive off, the owner of the car decides to take a shot at him. He misses, but he's standing in the pool of gasoline and the powder flash from his gun ignites the gasoline and blows up the cantina. This and everybody is... died. The end. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. 
the cavemen are chasing after the kid and buddy. They've got a catapult on their car. Oh my god, what was happening with this catapult? They're launching gumballs and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. vegetables. Yeah. It's like bouncy balls, gumballs, vegetables, like anything they could just like find. Yeah, like, I don't know, like a store or something. It's like, yeah, just launch that. Yeah. Well, and also like they're shooting all this candy or, you know, gumballs or whatever it is. And what is it they're trying to get from Buddy and the kid? Like if they've got food to shoot at them, are they cannibals? What's happening? I don't know. I think it's I think it's just revenge for hitting one of them in the head with a rock. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, we do see the creepy kid from the cantina calling after them, and then he gets shot in the back with an arrow. And as Death and his archers walk past, he's told to beware of the spinach monster. I just, I don't, it doesn't fit together yet. It just, Not just yet. It just doesn't Not make yet. sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is definitely a kids' movie kind of thing. I'm not sure what the original intention was. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that that part of it missed the mark. I don't know. I think it's like like a a macho version of The Wizard of Oz. It's like pre, like, The Wizard of Oz. Well, if we were going to sum up this whole movie, it is, without a doubt, Mad Max meets The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's fun to watch with your family. I mean, you know, want some cool samurai movie with kids, but you don't want to like see them watching like just fields of people getting hacked up by like one dude. <laughs> yeah. But this movie on, and it's got a great soundtrack. Like, chill yeah. out. Well, Death tells the Elvises that they have failed him for the last time. And oh, those are nice shoes. They are nice shoes. <laughs> Next, we see Death and the Archers walking off down the road wearing the Elvis's. Hell yeah. Bats and stuff. Those are nice. It, like one it, leopard print. It made me wonder if, and this is before you, you told me that, um, you know, th- who was playing Death, but seeing that scene made me wonder if they were telling us that the Elvis's were also playing Death and his boys just in all kinds of wigs <laughs> and makeup. But I, I doubt that's, I doubt that's the case no they might archers though because you don't really get to see their faces Mm -hmm. that's that's possible yeah well we get back to our low speed chase as the kid and buddy try to outrun the caveman Buddy's just sitting in the passenger seat playing his guitar yeah the kid's like screaming and like driving they can barely sit over the wheel and i'm like there's butt (laughs) yeah (laughs) chewing bubble gum just like playing the guitar like practicing you know, working his like you know, hammer on and shit. Yeah. They did. They did take opportunity to get some refreshing chewing gum since it's just being thrown at them anyway. They <laughs> might as well use it. But eventually, the caveman car breaks down, and the cavemen take off on foot. I mentioned this was a low speed chase. Buddy and the kid aren't gaining any ground on these guys who are on foot. Yeah, they get closer on foot than they were in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> their car, well, eventually they lose the cavemen, but their car overheats and dies at the entrance to the Nevada Badland. But he's not worried by that. He just gets out of the car and starts walking, leaving the kid behind. They do have a little nonverbal argument where the kid is standing there yelling, making just 
sounds. Uh, right. Yeah, that was perfect. And, and Buddy has enough of it and just yells the same thing right back to him, then turns around and walks off. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, this this is the first time I've watched the movie since I became a parent, and the noises <laughs> the kid makes really like activate a certain stress center in my brain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So after thinking about it for a minute, the kid decides, apparently the kid is a mechanical genius. He looks to be about 12 years old, 10 years old, but he knows all about cars. And he's found a little puddle of water and he's going to scoop this water up and pour it into the radiator uh, of the car so that he can get it going. I don't want to jump ahead, but I love that, you know, engines work in in like imaginary terms. Yes. You know? Like water and the engine's going to fix it. A ratchet <laughs> is the only tool you need to fix anything, you know? Right. It's like, I could rule the world if I just had one ratchet, one 10 millimeter socket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All this planet. I like that. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's really told from like a kid's point of view. Everything's mm-hmm. magical. Everything's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like the last, like our last episode, which was told from the perspective of yeah. about a four-year-old kid. Yeah, it, it's not the memories of an adult remembering things that happened when she was four. It's the way the four-year-old would tell it. And we've got a very similar situation here. So we can consider this entire movie the result of an unreliable narrator. I love those. Yeah. I was like the best movies. It allows writers to get away with a lot more. That's a fact. Well, the cavemen are coming over the hill. They're catching up to the kid. And Buddy hears this. And he can't just keep walking anymore. He's got to turn around and help the kid. Kid is trying frantically to start the car and he's failing. Uh, Buddy picks the kid up and stuffs him in the trunk with a handful of gumballs. That ought to keep him. If we learned anything as children, we learned that anything you capture will survive in a mason jar, provided you put some grass and a stick in there with it. Yeah, the stick is critical. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because the grass doesn't work without the stick. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's facts. <laughs> the kid is in the trunk listening to the sounds of the fight, and then the trunk opens, and there stands Buddy. Buddy has taken out the cavemen. They get the car going again. I, I love how how that whole scene leading up to it, as, a, as like a viewer, you're really stressing out about how not serious Buddy is taking the situation. But then he gets up with plenty of time to still like totally kick all those guys' asses, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so he's like in that Zen state, you know? <laughs> oh, no, he's no, always in state. That's nothing way- flusters <laughs> Buddy ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ever. And the, th- through the course of the movie, like you, you start to, I guess possess a little bit of that trust in him too that present moment you know right well they're rolling past a wind farm and the car finally dies again outside somebody's house and that's when buddy tells the kid that it sounds like he needs a ratchet just like in the fallout games where or not fallout in the far cry games Mm. where you can fix every vehicle (laughs) with a cutting torch yeah (laughs) You can reflate. You can reinflate tires with a cutting torch. You can. Yeah. You can. You can put fires out with a cutting torch. You can do. You can. You can fix a cracked engine block with a cutting torch. In this universe, you can fix every every problem with a car with a ratchet. Yeah, I love it. 
That's magic, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is where we meet the Cleavers. Oh, man. Ward Cleaver is practicing his golf swing out in the yard. He sees Buddy and the kid, and he calls for his family and tells them they have guests for dinner. He introduces Buddy as Wally Fishbinder and the kid as Wally's little boy, Jed. Ward Cleaver is crazy, and he might be a cannibal. They're, they're all crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're painted so grossly. Like there's, it doesn't look like dirt on them. It looks like their skin is just wrong. Right. Yeah, it's like dust caked. And then they got like this weird yellowish to it. And then like, yeah. around, like really red and like swollen. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. Awful. Yeah. Ward starts asking Buddy if he's paid off that Plymouth yet. I uh, hope you didn't get that from a dealer. Those guys will eat you alive. They're just fattening you up for the slaughter. <laughs> I think Ward's a cannibal. You th- yeah, do you think those lines <laughs> are significant to the overall plot? Inside the house, we're all sitting around. Ward asks Buddy if he's ever used a pink golf ball because the wind shear off a pink golf ball can take the head off a 90-pound midget at 300 yards. <laughs> That's and like now- really, really specific. Like, he really, like, how do you know that unless you tried that? I, I think that's something that cannibals know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harriet Cleaver is trying to feed the kid candy. And well, the little girl Cleaver, she's giving the kid a little squeeze on the leg. And that kid is, is a cow bites him. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like kind of like, just like reaches over to Buddy's shoulder and is about to bite him and kind of like thinks twice about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Buddy has realized that uh, this guy doesn't have a ratchet. So he just, he's leaving. Thanks. See ya. And we see them saying goodbye. Buddy is walking off and he has left the kid with the cleaver. And, and I love Ward Cleaver. Goodbye. Goodbye. Very friendly. And then it turns very angry. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> terrifying to watch. Those I people. mean, the mood swings are just off the charts with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Next thing we see, Harriet Cleaver has the kid in a pot and she's throwing carrots in the pot with him. I told you these people were cannibals. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to eat the kid. However, they are interrupted by the arrival of the windmill people. Man, aren't they? We see some people. It looks like people in spacesuits walking in from the distance. And they've got the cleavers freaked out. The cleavers are getting out of here. They're gathering up some stuff. Ward finds that ratchet, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> in the le- junk- it was in the junk drawer. Every- he should have looked there in the first place. It's always in the country. Yeah. Always. <laughs> that's more, more of that magic, you know, that childhood <laughs> yeah. point of view. That's, that's where you go when you need a ratchet, a rubber band, or those orange-handled scissors to cut the end off the otter pops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they drive off and they leave the kid just as the windmill people get to the house. We see the cleavers drive past Buddy. Buddy's already passed out drunk. Uh, way to go. Oh man, I just go back to where they they're all right. This windmill people are coming up on the house, right? And they they're in the they're getting in the car. They got like a stuffed leopard or something. They're just getting all the crap yeah. in there. And then it shows the dad fix the car. And you know how he fixes the car? 
<laughs> he puts the ratchet up to the ignition switch and yes. pretends to turn it, and the yeah. car starts. Car right on. I'm like, come on. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's great. Yeah. Well, as they drive past Buddy, they warn him that a storm is coming. Back at the house, we are seeing the windmill people breaking into the house. There is no glass in this building anywhere, but there are lots of breaking glass sound effects as the windmill people come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I've never I've never noticed that before. But I, yeah, I'm I'm seeing it in my mind right now. And yeah. I, I can hear the sounds and I can see that it's just a bunch of guys caught in like uh missing panels in a wooden wall, you know. Oh right. man, no, it's been like panes of glass breaking. It's like that go to flower flower pot sound that you have when you <laughs> right. I like that license like sound package or whatever. It's like that flower <laughs> <laughs> It's like clunk that that clunky glass break and it's like yeah and hell there's not even walls like most of it's like uh plastic around like a you know a wall with a hole in it. Yeah 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 yep and the dust storm looks kind of like smoke grenades. Yeah like a smoke mm. bomb big fan. Right. It's got a very X-Files feel to it with the way the light's coming in and the smoke and... Cinematography, and, like the way they, they held it, like it was yeah. like on a FL cam and you're all up in the action, like you got those guys in the spacesuits and they're like... And it's just... You don't really know what's going on, but you know they're trying to get the kid out. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's one very disorienting shot after another. Yeah. They make a lot of action where there's not much going on and, and they do a good job at that. I love so much about this scene. One very specific thing, uh, what you were talking about is like how disorienting and, and like just confusing this whole fight is like, they look like astronauts, but then when they get closer, you can see they have like water purifier jugs taped yeah. to their back. As these guys get up close, their spacesuits they start to look really, really junky. Mm -hmm. Like a cosmonaut type. Right, if the cosmonaut's helmet was held on with duct tape, yeah. because these guys, their helmets are held on with duct tape, and there's yeah. no missing that, and there's no missing the huge gaps in there, the vacuum cleaner hose going into a bug sprayer tank yeah. on their back. It, it, this is all what I thought when I first saw this is, well, this is a wind farm, there's actually some legitimate civilization here maintaining this. Mm -hmm. But no, no, it's wasteland settlers who have adopted a look because perhaps people who were working here in the past had those suits. And these guys yes. have just adopted that persona and that appearance. Yeah, I, I love that, like, unanswered lore in the world. Right. Yeah. Like there's so, so many ways to think about what those guys are. Like, are they like a, a almost a cargo cult who, who remember the astronauts, you know, who did testing right. in, the, in the desert or, or, you know, not astronauts, but bio suit type people, whatever, whatever look it is. And there was, there was a fantasy writer and I can't remember which one it was, but he said that the magic system in a story needs to be incredibly well-defined or never explained at all. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And in this case, it's 
never explained. So absolutely anything becomes plausible. Yeah. I like that. It's it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Well, the kid makes it out of the house. The dust storm outside the house doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. He gets out of the house and is immediately captured by a very slow-moving windmill person. Let's see. I lost my spot again. This happens a lot. Sorry about that. Oh, no. (laughs) I am actually really, like, I'm enjoying um, hearing this movie explained from your observations you know what i mean like this is this is like watching the movie with um i mean you know i guess a commentary or something on like i'm because i'm so familiar with this movie that as you're describing it i'm able to see it unlike some of y'all's episodes i've never seen the movie right so i'm only experiencing what i'm hearing but this is this is this is fun i'm i'm grateful to be doing this well buddy shows up and he takes out the windmill people to save the kid even though he insists that he does not care about the kid. Yeah. At this point, it seems like he's trying to convince himself. Um, he's not a guy, you know. I mean, he, he just, you know, the kid's not his priority. His priority is getting to Vegas. Right. The, the kid keeps on getting in trouble. So it's like, ah, man. All right. Just one more time. One more yeah. time. Yeah. Cut to Buddy and the kid at a junkyard. Uh, apparently, they're looking for a new ride. The kid finds a motorcycle. And it starts raining on them. (laughs) Well, Buddy can't get the motorcycle started and he starts to walk off. The kid doesn't give up quite so easily because he knows that all he has to do is turn this key and kick the motorcycle and it'll (laughs) fire right up. He is a mechanical wizard. He's the magic element, you know. He's the um, the the magic dog, like from you know Adventure Time. He's the uh, the C three or the R two D two from Star Wars. Like he's yeah. able yes. to just kind of be the the fill in solution for so many things. Yeah. I like how he picked that bike too. The kid walked like you got Buddy walking by with his umbrella and stuff, and he's like looking at down at the ground because it's raining. The kid just sees the wheel on the bike and he rolls it and he sees the wheel roll and it's like, Hey, this works. And I'm like, you don't know if that works. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, and yeah, hit the primer, do the key, kick it a couple of times. Bram, I got a dirt bike. So there's a radio show in this movie that I absolutely love. Yes. Uh, werewolf hosted by the werewolf. Sounds a lot like Wolfman Jack who, had passed away three years before this movie was made. So it's not actually Wolfman Jack. Someone calling himself the werewolf and death has called into the werewolf show. Well, it's, you know, from this, like this age of age of the radio and and death sending like the call in requests. Like that's, that's like the, (laughs) it's just the way they, they communicated with strangers back then, you know? Yeah, I, uh, we're we're seeing death take out musicians as this uh, radio conversations going on, and one of the things that I love about this conversation is Wolfman acknowledges that they have a caller, and caller says, uh, "I'm death." Hello, <laughs> <laughs> and then and werewolf he starts talking again, and. So Death is planning to take over Las Vegas. He just is going to kill everybody who would challenge him and leave a line of discarded guitar picks all the way to Las Vegas. Yeah. Hello. 
<laughs> yeah. I love that bit. Uh, werewolf just lets him talk and then uh, death runs out of words and there's a pause and hello. That was the funniest part of the movie. You know, uh, we, we passed the part that I thought that, that part's really funny, but I didn't mention back when he's on the couch talking to the, the car, the, the cleavers, the way he says, so I'm, I'm thinking you don't have a ratchet. Yes. <laughs> the way he said that when I was rewatching it, it cracked me up so hard. Yeah. But yeah. This movie's got so many like just good laughs bro- breaking up like kind of the scenery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you're invested in all the crazy stuff that's going on. But then like, yeah, some simple line of dialogue, the way they deliver it, it sends you on your ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we see the kid and buddy. They're headed down the road on their motorcycle, which just falls over for some reason because <laughs> movie motorcycles do man yeah dumps yeah. them both the kid starts crying but he tries to get the bike going again he he mentions that maybe he can trade the kid for a ratchet <laughs> the kid fake cries until buddy falls down and then just like any kid i mean every parent has done this you do something silly and the kid laughs that's and then they start crying again, so you do something silly again, and now you are the toy. <laughs> yeah, total clown. It's true, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I'm pretty sure, like, I've seen this, like, in another movie where, like, uh, the kid starts crying and the kid just, the guy does, like, a, a just a stupid ball, like, something, like a full flip, and they'll land on his butt, like, it's, it was, like, it's in... Every here's a guy out of his element trying to take care of a small child movie. Child, yeah, it's true. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they made two three men and a baby movies about that. Yeah, and that's all that movie was really. It's the it's the good hearted stepdad genre, Jesse. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I like Uncle Buck. I know what you're saying, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cut to Buddy pushing the bike over some very rocky ground, 214 miles from Vegas. And then we also see Death killing another guitar player and dropping him in his guitar case like it was a coffin. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have a lot of special makeup effects, but when they do, it's pretty funny. Like that, the couple, uh, yeah, it's not that gory. It's like, you know, but it's, they do like some cool little tricks using the camera to make it look like that right mm. on the radio we hear an ad for little man's warehouse where you can get all the guitar strings ratchets plutonium and toilet water you need <laughs> they think plutonium is the funny is the funny thing in that list but it's still ratchet to me it's still <laughs> <laughs> now here's our tie-in Little Man's Warehouse is located in a town called Fallout, 200 miles from Vegas. This movie was made the year after the first Fallout video game was released. Fallout, of course, was based on a 1988 video game called Wasteland, in which a group called the Desert Rangers explore the remains of human civilization, including post-apocalyptic las vegas (laughs) that's awesome yeah you found it man you connected the dots last year or maybe it was year before last wasteland remastered was released for pc and xbox one oh nice so there's our there's our uh fallout tie-in for this game (laughs) there are 
you know, the post-apocalyptic genre is basically all members of the same club and they all borrow each other's costumes. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that, that it's a, a group that is comfortable enough in what they do that it's okay for somebody else to work off of my work. Mm, man, that's, that's true. That's awesome. I love, I love that kind of stuff. And um, I mean, any, any art form, you know, like when, when we kind of like share our experience or our, our know-how more, more openly, like everybody uh, thrives, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Well, buddy and the kid arrive at little man's warehouse where they are announced by an announcer who really needs to clear his throat. Um, yeah, sound weird. I don't know about you, but when I heard this guy hollering, new arrival, new arrival, I sat here on my sofa and went, <clears throat> <laughs> Yeah. But he asked little man if he has a ratchet, but he's told there aren't any more ratchets. That's it, folks. Pack it up. The world yeah. is over. It's, it's been over. And now we're out of ratchets. It's over. The last ratchet has been sold. Uh, Wolfman was using an out-of-date copy for his promo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last the last one got sold 20 minutes ago. Sorry. <laughs> well, Buddy dumps the kid off with Little Man and heads to find a real drink. Little Man tells him he can find a real drink by following the yellow brick road. Told you it was Mad Max meets Wizard of Oz. It's just uh, they, they had to wait until like halfway through the movie to put the midget in. They did. Yeah, little man is a little man. It, uh, uh, some some other elements of this movie make me wonder how much the the guys who did Borderlands like it. Right. Because like there's just a, I don't know, there's a great deal of like thematic crossover, but also just the, the movie has made a few references to like midgets and like oh, <laughs> post-apocalyptic, yeah. you know, uh, deformities or, or whatever. I, I don't even know, but. Yeah, it's it stylized. It looks a lot like Borderlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the way they set up their characters and stuff. Also, I think that that uh, that that little dude, uh, he had a he had a record. He was like, I think, like the smallest uh, dwarf actor at the time. One time, I think he won an award. And this hmm. guy is buff. Yeah, he's he's yeah. He's this like a is one guy. very muscular dwarf. Yeah, he, he looks like he messed you up. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Buddy finds the bar uh, where he is ignoring the whores. One, dressed like a cheerleader, decides she's not going to be ignored, so she sticks her chewing gum to Buddy's glasses. <laughs> and we see in the background a very chatty bartender that Buddy shut down pretty quickly is making the same disgusted face that I made when I watched this scene. This is the most unsexy scene <laughs> I've witnessed. In a, and I've watched a lot of crappy movies, right? <laughs> That's a lot of crappy seduction, but this one probably takes the taco. This is definitely the worst. Well, Death arrives at Little Man's Warehouse. He and his archers are headed for the bar, and Buddy... Meanwhile, Buddy's in the room with the cheerleader whore, and she's trying to undress him. He's not helping a bit. He's not even into it. I don't know why he went to the room with her. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange scene. 
I think yeah. he's like up, kind of, like at this point or something. Like he, he doesn't think he'll get to Vegas. And so like he's he's just getting drunk and stuff, right? And so he's right. going to give up. Yeah, when he's in the room, he he's pretty much dead. I mean, he might lift up to drink his drink, but he's ignoring her. He's dead. He's just playing. He doesn't really care what he wants to do, you know? Yeah, and then right. He shows up. And when the dad shows up, that kid goes in there and he starts hearing that kid cough and it kind of snaps. Off. Yeah, the kid comes into the bar and one of the bar patrons growls at him and the kid starts screaming and that wakes Buddy up. He's up, he's getting dressed, he's got his sword. We're going to go find out what's wrong with the kid. Yeah, it kind of that that whole scene, like how he's just in a in kind of like a a dream, a dream, a drunken dream trance, reminds me of that movie, The Big Lebowski. You know yeah. how that guy just kind of the whole movie, he just goes with the flow just to see what happens. Like maybe that's how he got in the room in the first place. He's just like, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, probably. That that sounds pretty reasonable. There's just something sinister about that bar, though, because like there's that other guy, right? Who starts cussing him out. It's just a bunch of guitarists with like hookers. <laughs> and it's like, like they're in like, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of that snake house in Dragon Ball where it's like, you know, it's like a bunch of whores and they got food, you know, and like Goku goes in there and gets trapped. But like, you really should be going down that road, you know, to go train. But you get stopped at this like Hotel California place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, m- maybe this is a place where failed guitar players ended up on the road to Vegas because one of them does call Buddy out. Yeah, Buddy. this is the spaghetti western tie-in that I was thinking of earlier. I didn't want to right. jump to this scene, but it's this, so Clint Eastwood. This yeah. reminded me of a spaghetti western called A Man Called Nobody. Oh, I love those. If you look on YouTube, you can see a clip of Nobody in a bar. And, yeah. And somebody decides they're going to draw on him. And he... uh he gets right up to him and slaps his face and draws his guns at him. <laughs> and it yeah, goes on like that for a while. It's very entertaining. And that's what this <laughs> reminded me of. Yeah. Buddy tells him, you know, go home, start a family, give up playing the guitar. Don't try to be like. Yeah. You got what it takes. Oh, yeah. and get a real guitar. Not this piece of crap. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, uh, Carrie pointed this out when we were rewatching it yesterday. She pointed out that like they kind of look the same age, just Buddy is filthier. Right. Like it's not even an age thing. It's, <laughs> it's just Buddy, like time in the desert, you know. Buddy yeah. gets dirtier and dirtier as the movie progresses. Yeah. Um, this movie takes a real toll on Buddy, and you get to watch that through the makeup. On the kid, too, it seems like they just get dirty and dirtier the longer the movie does, goes. Does his shirt just keep getting bigger as the movie goes on to? <laughs> on a kid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but like holes will disappear on it. Like it's like all tattered. <laughs> and then it's like, like, shirt still dirty, but not as tattered. I'm like it was like almost <clears throat> like a like a fishnet earlier and then now <laughs> not almost a sweater. Yeah, it, it's like a Maggie Simpson nightgown yeah. right on the ground there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Death enters the bar and he's headed for Buddy, but Buddy turns around and walks out, and that's all Death needs. He says, he, "Never mind." He salutes the kid and turns around and walks out. It's a weird scene, too. It really is. It really is. But Death now mentions that he has a plan to use the boy against Buddy. Buddy's heart is weak. Yeah, 
He's got the chink in his armor and he knows what to do now. Yeah. Yep. Next, we cut to Buddy and the kid walking through the Mojave Desert, climbing sand dune, while Buddy describes a trip to the beach. Yeah, I love that line. Like, he's just, like, totally, like, zenned out, and, like, he doesn't see a problem with the day at the beach. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, I can't say it's she's so. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. This is where we find out the kid can talk. He can actually talk now. Death is tracking them through the desert, and meanwhile, in the background, the Red Elvises are singing a song about Siberia. They are in the one of the hottest places in the U.S., singing about one of the coldest places in Asia. That's yeah. fine. Well, it's, it's after the fallout, so... So maybe it's not cold anymore? Then maybe it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we see... nowhere, though. Yeah. Stuck out of or stuck out of nowhere. Anyway, we see a sign that says it's only 100 miles to Vegas now. And the young guy from the bar has also been trailing him, and he's caught up. And he wants a showdown. He doesn't have a family. This crappy guitar is all he's got, and we're going to fight. Yep. Well, he charges Buddy with a big old scimitar, and when he gets there, Buddy just takes his scimitar away from him and kills him. Yeah, he kind of just, like, grabs the blade and turns it in on dude's stomach, and dude killed himself. And then, like, Mm. he just kind of... There's Adam. They lock yeah. eyes. Told you you didn't have what it takes. And yeah, all's dead. They bury him. They, they do bury him. Yeah. And this that's the- when Buddy says that he needs to get a new gig and somebody else can be king. And he plants his katana at the grave and walks off. The kid grabs his sword and takes it back to him, gives it to him and tells him, you can still be a good king. The, that's true. The kid... The kid has faith in Buddy, even though Buddy no longer has faith in himself. I really like how this th- there, there's there's a big contrast between all the other people Buddy has killed. Like we didn't see them die, and this one guy, like it got all slow mo and super close to Buddy's face, you know, and right, like, and then he he took the time to like bury him, like like this person was one of his people, not just a a gangster or a or a yeah. you know a, a caveman, right? Also- only time you ever see blood it's mm-hmm. the only time yeah and and, and you know everybody else that dies in this movie is a bad guy who is out to do bad things to them for bad reasons mm-hmm. and this guy this guy just wants to be a guitar player and he failed at it and that's the only reason that he dies yeah next we see buddy on the sand dunes doing tai chi backed by a sunset and the kid is off in the distance mimicking him it's like the little kid wearing dad's big boots yeah it's a it, one of the rare like sweet scenes in it you know like uh, openly sweet without any sort of analy- and you know analysis it's it's just pleasant to see you know there is a relationship between these two now Mm-hmm. The kid has has adopted Buddy as his father figure. That night, the kid mentions that a 56 Chevy can beat a 47 Buick in a quarter mile race. Yeah. Just out of the blue, by the way. He says it with authority, too. He does. Yeah. He means it. Buddy mentions that he liked the kid better when he couldn't talk. <laughs> and they they lay down to go to sleep. Well, the kid comes over and 
and cuddles up next to Buddy and tells him that he's afraid of the spinach monster. And Buddy, well, he, he's he's going to let him stay there and 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 give him whatever comfort he can. Yeah, again, it's he doesn't even tell him, okay, well, come come over here. He just doesn't shoo him away. Right. And that's all he needs. That's yeah. all he needs is don't push me away. The next day, they're walking through the Mojave and the kid passes out. We see some vultures circling overhead. Got a red tail hawk sound effect for those vultures. <laughs> it's bad enough when they use the red tail hawk when you see an eagle. But now when you're using it for vultures, come on. Yeah, you're insulting us. <laughs> I liked you better when you were pretending to be an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> well, Buddy passes out too, and Death and his archers are still tracking him. One of the archers fires an arrow up into the air, and it lands on Buddy's guitar. You can hear the strings make a noise, which Death immediately recognizes as it's a 1957 hollow body guitar, because what else would it sound like? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And how did his arrow find it? What is this I magic? mean, he's a really good shot, apparently. Yeah, it's just, it's just yeah. chaos. Has he been shooting every five steps, just checking? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Crazy. Well, they find Buddy and the kid and Death offers to trade the kid's life for Buddy's guitar. Buddy acts like he's going to give up the guitar. Then he knocks all the archers out with it. Elkabong. Right across the face. And then Buddy grabs the kid and takes off running. Then we find out that maybe the archers aren't the great shots that we thought they were because they can't hit Buddy for, for trying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're in a Apparently. desert, and he's right there. Yeah, it's wide open. He's yeah. right in front of him. He's running in a straight line. No, you can hit the guitar you can't see. You can't hit the man that you can see. <laughs> yeah, and their arrows all just look like they've been thrown, you know, like when it uh, shows them flying. <laughs> I love that. Uh, he put the get, kid on the guitar and just, like, pushes him down that sand thing. You know that kid had a ball filming his Yes. Shot. <laughs> yeah, he puts him on the gu on the guitar and he rides it down the dune like a sled. One of the things I wanted to mention about the arrows, so in the Lord of the Rings, every time there was a battle scene with orc, watch closely. At some point, you will see someone off camera, usually on the left side of the screen, will just lob a severed head across the frame. I gotta get out now. <laughs> the 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 archers do remind me a lot of the uh, the ring wraith from yeah. Lord of the Rings, like the way they look and stuff. Yeah, they're very slow. They're very creepy voices uh, in a very different way, though. Like that mm. and Black Crows had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded like cartoons. Yeah. 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 Or Lemmy and Squiggy. <laughs> well, after Buddy sends the kid down the dune on his guitar sled, he pulls out his sword to face death and the archers. Buddy's knocking the arrows out of the air until one of the archers shoots his sword out of his hand. Then he just starts dodging the arrows with all kinds of incredible acrobatics. Yeah, this is another one of those scenes where they just said, hey, Jeff, what you want to do today? <laughs> backflips. I'm going to backflip across this sand dune. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, he backflips all the way to his sword and recovers it. 
The kid lands down at the bottom of the sand dune and some kind of sand dune monster that we never really see starts chasing him. And when he first starts chasing him, you can see the kid running, but he's bent backwards like a Muppet going huh? across the screen. <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems weird. Like like he like he looks like he's um riding like a bull. You know, or, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, like it's, he's got it's his like arms they're pulling back. him on yeah. a cart. He's got it bent kind of backward looking up. Imagine any of the Muppet scenes where you've seen Gonzo running across the screen with his head thrown back, going, <laughs> ah! And that's what this looks like. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he's riding a mechanical bull, and like, yep. you, they just pull him behind a, a, a <laughs> they got a foreground dirt or something. It is funny. Shit. Well, he ends up getting pulled down a pipe and yeah. disappears. We see the kid sliding down the pipe. There's no monster around now. He's just sliding down this pipe. I guess the monster shoved him down the pipe and then took off. Yeah, but man. the kid catches himself on a ledge and manages to stop his fall. Death and the archers assume the sand monster ate Buddy because they can't find him. They give up and leave. And once they leave, we see that Buddy actually buried himself in the sand dune. Oh yeah! Now he just has to find the kid. Man, so, what a what a like you know Arnold and Predator move that was—the sand dune thing. You know? Yeah. Oh so man, legit. they did that in all those samurai movies. It was always some lake, and then like the samurai would have like a sh- bamboo straw in his mouth. Mm, yeah, yeah. It, Every time, man, like it, it, sometimes two or three times in the same movie. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's what Buddy was doing here. He had a plastic straw so he could breathe while he was buried in the sand dune. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it too, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I know what you mean. That's tight. I love it. Buddy heads down a manhole and he drops his sword. It slides all the way down the chute and sticks in a tire. Obviously. Here. Meanwhile, the kid emerges near the tire, but he can't reach the sword. And there are some very shadowy figures toward him. We see Buddy walking through a corridor and he's stopped by one of these underground dwellers. Looks like a guy wearing like a funnel shaped gas mask and covered in old rags. Yeah. So the the costumes don't look um, practical. On these characters, they don't look like they are just surviving. They, they all look super junkyard ornate. Right. The fight ensues, and then Buddy hears the kid below him. The kid is in some kind of arena now. And we see the creepy kid that got shot in the back at the cantina. He's back. Still got the arrow sticking in his back, too. Yeah. Still an he's, yeah, he's still an asshole kid. He's still me. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as he sees that kid, he starts picking on that kid. It's like, leave the kid alone. Maybe we're in hell. I don't yeah. know. A few people have, have made references at, at, at this point, in the, right? Haven't they? They have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the tag, you're it, boy. He punches the kid, and the kid goes down over this grate, and Buddy is on the other side of it. Buddy was up above the arena. Now he's under it. Not sure how that happened. Sewers are tricky, man. They are. Yeah. It's like uh, all those uh, air vents and uh, those Batman games. It's like, these are like elaborate vent systems. You know, what is it for? Well, the kid turns into the karate kid at this point. He starts doing the Tai Chi. He starts doing the Tai Chi. And while he's doing that, the tag you're it kid 
comes up and just kicks him in the back. Yeah. He falls down where Buddy's hiding under the grate, and Buddy says, what are you doing, trying to be a windmill? Just clock the kid already. Yeah. So he does. The tunnel people explain that by winning the fight, the kid has been chosen by the windmill god, so they will sacrifice him to the windmill god. Man, this is a weird society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, prove you're the best, and you get killed. That sucks. I'm not going to put pants on at that point. (laughs) I'm getting my butt kicked every single day. Yeah. 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 No doubt about it. I will kick my own butt. That's how bad I am. It's weird, well, I, too. I, I start a fight club. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's so strange. Like, why is the kid with the arrow in his back in this arena? Well, like, has he been declared the, the worst of the windmill people? Like, I, we're I, never going to find out. Yeah. It's yeah, so crazy. Like, did death drop this kid off? Or is this where <laughs> death people that are dead? Or was like, death get sick of this kid because he's such an ass and just like yeah here yeah he was was death's apprentice for a little while and death was just like no i'm done this is stupid (laughs) (laughs) i did not this well one of the underground dwellers carries the kid off and the rest of them attack buddy he takes them all out and arrives just as they're about to kill the kid buddy does horrible things with this guitar all right (laughs) He used it as a sled on a sand dune. He just beat the crap out of a half a dozen underground dwellers. There's not a scratch on this guitar. Yeah. Now, I've seen Pete Townsend, and I've seen what he did to guitars with far less effort than what Buddy has expended here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They they don't make them like they did in 57 anymore. I guess. Well, Buddy finds the guy who has the kid and takes him out just as he's preparing to sacrifice the kid to the windmill god, which appears to be a talking flashlight. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, talking flashlight that that eats human beings. It's a bizarre sound. It sounds... You guys watch Red Dwarf? Yeah. 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 It sounds like Talkie the Toaster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This, this voice box was designed for like a child's uh, toy laptop, <laughs> but somebody at the murder robot you know, factory put, put it in the wrong one. That, that's yeah. what it is. Well, Buddy and the kid escape. They crawl out of the tunnels. They are now 18 miles from Vegas. The kid just happens to find them a tandem bicycle to take them the rest of the <laughs> way to Vegas. It works. The great thing about unreliable narrator, everything's plausible. And serendipitous. It's like it's like, oh man. Like when the car broke down, it's like they broke down right there at that dude's house. Yeah. They get out, they escape the underground world. Bam, right there is a bike. Yeah. Bike for two, you know. But they they never seem to come up with many like solutions to their problems, but they always stumble into the next step. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, through the problem. Well, they're riding down this road toward Las Vegas, and the road is littered with debris, including ratchets and discarded clothes and broken records. A caller on the radio show is complaining about being harassed by Russian soldiers. We're going to find out why really quick here. Because as Buddy and the kid approach Vegas, they are stopped by the Russian army or the Red Army. Yeah, it's, it's like 
Russian Americans or something. I don't know. Well, these these are the this is the Russian army that invaded during the war in fifty seven. But apparently, they haven't heard the news that the war ended forty years ago, and they're still fighting. Yeah, holdouts. Yeah. Well, nobody goes to Vegas without papers, and it's a Western style gauntlet here. You know, Buddy and the kid are down in the canyon up on the ridge. All the Russian soldiers pop up. They are completely surrounded. Buddy explains that he's got to go to Las Vegas to be the king, the commander of the Red Army. He hates, hates rock and roll. Too loud. Too Why hard. Not? Like soft music. Right. <laughs> nice polka, folk soft. So this is a callback to the old Soviet Union. Igor, whose last name I can't remember, the front man of the Red Elvises. He grew up in Ukraine and went to college in Russia in the Soviet era and didn't move to California until the late 80s. But during that time, uh, rock and roll music was illegal in Russia. If you were in a band in Russia, you were in a folk band and you played Mm -hmm. polkas. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea of any of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You could like, uh, you get like, like big jail time for like, uh, shipping, like, uh, like sneaking in like, uh, cassettes. There's a big black market of like rock and roll records and stuff. Pirate radio stations. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and it, it wasn't until the early 1990s when Mikhail Gorbachev instituted his glasnost policies that any Western bands were allowed to perform inside the Soviet Union. Yeah. Hmm. That's what brought it down, man. You can't take people from their shows. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that and and something else that we're going to hear about here in just a minute. So Buddy decides he's going to have to fight the Red Army by himself. <sighs> he hands his guitar to the kid. He tells the kid, if you scratch my guitar, I'll kill you. After <laughs> everything Buddy just did to that guitar. <laughs> Yeah. He was yeah. beating people over the head with it just in the last scene. Well, it's, it's guitar owners, man. You know how they are. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter what they do. If it's someone else touches their baby, <laughs> it's on. Yeah, that's it's true. It makes yeah. more sense if you actually think about a guitar owner. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're on a guitar, right, man? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I used to live with my cousin. I used to, like, be a roadie in his band and stuff. And, like, yeah, he would, like, you know. I don't know. He'll play a solo with like a, a Dremel or something, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if I like sneezed on it wrong, or if I leaned it up against the couch or something, he's gonna like he's gonna knock me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From so, that I, point on, if if it's out of tune or what, it's because you mishandled it. And that time, yeah, yeah, it comes with a beating. That's a spanking. <laughs> That's a bad one. Yeah. So, um, and guys, right. Yeah, buddy just gets to killing commies at this point. All right. Yeah. So they're like Russian guys, but they have like a bunch of like Civil War sabers and like guns nets <laughs> on them, right? Right. Yeah. They do. Look in there. Every one of those, like not when they're like standing or something, but like when he's fighting them and he's like up there with the ninja sword and stuff, those bayonets are like totally rubber. They're like <laughs> two, two feet rough. The swords are like paper, like cardboard and stuff. Like, I, I watched, this like, is that gun bending? I had to go back. I was like, yeah, sure enough, it's bending all that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
Well, Buddy makes his way through all of the Russian soldiers and the last line of them fall down like dominoes and land at the, the commander's feet. One of the guys with the commander asks, well, why don't we just shoot him? And the commander reminds him that they haven't had bullets since 1957. <laughs> One of the main reasons that the Soviet Union finally collapsed was that they were no longer able to write paychecks for the military. Hmm. And after three months with not getting paid and really not being able to get bribes, they just decided maybe we don't want to work for you anymore. Yeah, that's crazy. So they haven't had bullets in 40 years, but we've got a guy who can do tiger fists. Oh, <laughs> tiger fists. Dude, yeah. do the tiger Come on. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it, do it. And so he starts on his kung fu movie tactics while the other two beat feet. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know if if that if Tiger Fist is a distraction maneuver or an actual fighting skill this man has. I have no idea. I believe that he wanted us to believe that yeah. it was an actual fighting skill. Like, like, like he told his boss he has this special power, you know, Tiger Claw, and yeah. now he has to like back it up, you know. Oh, no. He watched Enter the Dragon once and <laughs> and memorized everything, and, and that was it. Yeah. All right. Like, oh, Gary knows Tiger Fist. Be like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Dude, Gary, Tiger <laughs> <laughs> they book they ass. Like, they knew he's delusional. But at the same time, <laughs> hey, any port in a storm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Buddy's not intimidated. And as Buddy walks up to him, he realizes this and... He gives up his tiger fist moves and just takes off running. Yep. Right about this time, though, reinforcements arrive for the Russians. Is this where they start shooting the cannon at him? I don't remember a cannon. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, the it is. There's a there's a uh, there's an artillery outpost somewhere. Yeah, which is I mean, like, so there's like a whole other branch of these Russians someplace else firing, you know, like an artillery piece at this battle. Yeah, that's nuts. That's messed well, up because they don't have bullets, but they got cannons. Yeah. That they didn't use to begin with. They waited <laughs> yeah. until I, much, I, I much can't. later. Yeah. They could have fired one shot, hit the bicycle, done. Yeah. Darn. But Buddy's taking them all on. The kid has been heading down the road with Buddy's guitar. But as he sees the, the reinforcements come, he realizes he needs to go back and help Buddy because Buddy did it for him. We see Buddy get smacked in the head with the butt of a rifle. Uh, he also gets stabbed in the back by one of these sabers. But then he kills everybody. <laughs> Every last person. Oh my God, I love it. True Samurai too. They look yeah. good doing Buddy is the last man standing, but just barely. Yeah. And he's lost the kid. I can't find the kid anywhere. The kid finds Buddy as Buddy collapses in the street. Kid goes scavenging among the dead bodies until he finds a canteen uh, to give Buddy a drink. Uh, by the time he gets back to Buddy and can give him some water, it looks like it's too late. That doesn't stop the kid. The kid is going to get Buddy to Las Vegas one way or another. <laughs> and we see the kid just dragging Buddy down the middle of the street. This is like, uh, it's kind of touching. It's real sad to me. It's like he's a guy. You don't know if he's dead or like passed out or what. He's dragging him and then he stops and then he goes back and gets the guitar and the sword and he drags those two up a little bit. Goes yeah. back, gets buddy. And it's kind of like that was really touching and shit. 
Yeah. It, it, yeah. Fe- it feels really, um, it feels in some way connected to when he leaves his teddy bear behind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, like, I can't leave him behind. Like, teddy bear is just <clears> bullshit. <throat> but this, no. Yeah. Yeah. He left, he left, he left his family and he became a new family, you know? Shit. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel all emotional. Well, Death and his archers have come upon the scene of uh, the slaughter where all the Red Army soldiers are lying dead on the hillside. Death instructs the archers to go find Buddy and bring him Buddy's guitar. We cut back to the kid and Buddy, and we can finally see Lost Vegas, which looks a lot like the Emerald City of Oz. Yeah, yeah. More bulbous. Spot on. Yeah. It's trippy though. It's got like overgrown like vines and stuff on it. Yeah. And it looks like it's uh glittery or something, like the sky's all shiny. Yeah, and guess what? Buddy's not dead after all. <laughs> when as soon as the kid says Lost Vegas, Buddy's up. He's good as new now. Little dirtier, a lot dirtier, but he's alive. Yeah. The kid goes running towards Vegas and one of the archers spots him. One of them takes a shot at him and misses, but he tells the kid to keep running while he prepares to face the archer. He climbs up the side of the ridge there, and when he gets to the top, he finally faces death. But death wants the kid now. He's not interested in Buddy's guitar pick. He said if he's going to take something, he's going to take something that's valuable to him. And that's the kid. So, yeah, he totally pissed him off now like there's yeah. no bargaining and you can't get out it's like it's like oh now i gonna have to fight to the death well buddy's got to face off against death in a guitar battle oh yeah such an awesome scene <laughs> the winner of the guitar battle gets the kid's soul meanwhile the kid has climbed up the ridge and recovered buddy's sword um death starts to feel like he's losing this guitar battle And orders the archers to fire at Buddy, but they can't hit him while he's looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, something about, like, uh, him playing the guitar or something's got him psyched up like a bard. Yeah, he's in that super zen, man. Yeah. It's making them miss. Like, he's, like, just sweet. You know, he he can't do wrong. And, like, they just suck, like, because it's, like, swinging past him and stuff. But as soon as the kid says something behind him and Buddy turns around, these three guys shoot Buddy four times in the back. Oh, yeah. And it's like the kid's just running up the hill screaming with a sword. Right. And then they, 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 that's when Buddy turns around. And he's like, what What the hell, kid? I thought I told you. you know. And then it's like, bam. It's like Boromir uh, and Lord of the Rings. Like It's like this, boom, like four arrows straight in the back all the same. Yeah. He looks well buddy falls uh on top of the kid he falls unconscious he may be dead again but he lands on top of the kid kid crawls out from under buddy and prepares to take on the archers with buddy's sword this is when buddy gets up again he takes the sword and goes to face off against death in a sword fight yeah and he tells the archers he's just like i gotta go see your boss and they just let him they just let him, yeah. Yeah, I love it because because he's covered. He's like riddled with arrows, and they're like, uh. Well, he's got an appointment with death. Yeah, yeah. So if he has an appointment, we ought to just let him go, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Death is starting to get the upper hand and tells Buddy that he's weak and demands that he bend before the ways of heavy metal. And then this immediately turns into the Darth Vader Luke Skywalker sword fight, complete with lightsaber sound effects. Like when they parry and stuff, it gets like, yeah, it's yes. pretty cool, though. Yeah, it works out well. I mean, it's a high-speed sword fight. It is exactly like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Yeah. But he's holding his own as the music swells, and then Death starts getting in a, a, a couple lucky shots, and he slices Buddy once, and that slows him down enough that he can get him a couple more times. Eventually, Buddy is disarmed. Death is about to kill Buddy when the kid comes running up and tells him to leave Buddy alone. Yeah, he uh, spits at him. He spits at him, and it lands on Death's hand, and, and his hand starts smoking. This gives the kid an idea, because apparently the kid watched The Wizard of Oz. He gets the canteen out and starts spraying water at Death, and Death melts. He spins around crazy first, too. Like... <laughs> Like, yeah, like he's CGI like, spins. High velocity spin in there. Yeah. It's such a crazy ending. It's a, it's yeah. such a, it's a weird ending to that fight. And then there's nothing left but Death's guitar and his clothes on the ground. Yeah. Well, Buddy appears to be really dead now. The archers arrive and they give the kid their card just in <laughs> case he ever needs a band. Yeah. You killed Top Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody kills Top Hat. <laughs> yeah, in case you need a band. <laughs> yes, these guys have the craziest robot voices. It's like all the robot voices that got rejected from the real robot movie. Like those little stupid robots from that Disney movie, The Black Hole. That's what they remind me of. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. not seen that. That was Disney's very first R rated movie. Huh. Yeah. It's not bad, but it's not great. Right. It's called The Black Hole? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a sci-fi thriller. Okay. Make sure you put Disney's in front of it before you Google it, though. Yeah, otherwise you run into some other stuff that is uh, <laughs> yeah. outside the scope of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a completely <laughs> different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that. They had really cool set design and the robots and, and like the matte paintings and stuff. That was all like really great. Mm, and it yeah. did kick off Disney's of like the dark <clears throat> 80s, whatever. Well, when the kid turns back around to, to look at Buddy, Buddy's body is gone, leaving only his clothes, his glasses and his guitar. So the kid puts on Buddy's clothes. He puts on Buddy's glasses. He picks up his guitar. And he heads off to Las Vegas. You don't see that. Like, I mean, yeah, he does. He does do that. But like, you just see him like pick up his jacket and you're like, oh, my God. He's like, I don't know. Jedi Master evaporated on me. And then it cuts back to the road. And then next thing you see is that kid wearing those clothes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. And is the funniest cut is like, it's just like, and then it's like it, the suit's way too big for him. It right. looks like he shrank. He, but he shrank. It's so the glasses funny. are sitting cockeyed on his face. Yeah. Yeah. So keep pushing him up and pulling his pants up, walking down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Guitar's so too funny. big. Yeah. It's he like gets dragging. Road and then just transforms into Buddy. 
like they do the back shot like they you know switch it to where you get to see him walking toward uh vegas slash oz yeah it's like both for a, for a moment like superimposed or whatever yeah going to poses and it just it gets strong it gets tall and he becomes yeah. the six ring samurai man I know that was like the Santa Claus. Like if you kill Santa Claus and put his clothes. <laughs> so I'm thinking if I get like some glasses and a nice three piece suit, I get to learn to play guitar. That's how that yeah. works. Yeah, dude, you do though. This was a fun <laughs> movie. Yeah, man. Thanks for, thanks for talking about it with me. I, I've, uh, I yeah. feel like I've, I feel like I've gained a, a new level of appreciation for it and I already loved it. So thanks for this classic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I, I you know I knew it won some kind of award uh, like a, a film festival but like I didn't know if it had much of a following or if it was a, even known about most of the time you know yeah and unlike a lot of the movies that we covered this one is really easy to find the production company put it up on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, so anybody can get it there yeah I want to get soundtrack now because I've been like listening to the songs on YouTube. <laughs> I love gypsy punk. I just love that genre. Great. Yeah. 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 Uh, Gogol Bordello. Those guys. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I I was going to say, I I wonder if you can get the soundtrack on like a vinyl. That'd be, that'd be one for the collection, right? Ooh, if you could get it on red vinyl, that'd be even awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Big time. But yeah, no, I I just, I love this movie, man. Like it, it became like a a bedrock for every weird story I ever wanted to tell, you know? Yeah. and like the the it is it's really well made, but it's also not so outside the scope of like what a real normal human being could do with like a small budget and a camera and some friends. You know, like it inspires me to want to try to make movies or 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 try my hand at, you know, making more story driven like music videos or something crazy like that. You know, uh, yeah, I like that. I know what you're saying. Uh, it's I, I like the, the term like uh, unpolished, mm, which mm-hmm. sh- Derogatory, but it's like you know, all these big, you know, like these Marvel movies and stuff. Those things are polished to hell. Mm-hmm. They're super shiny, super glossy. They're made yeah. not to offend. They're made to like cater to this demographic. But yeah, like these old movies and like independent movies, they're like you know diamonds in the rough. You know? mm. It's like unrefined, but really, really appealing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.